I'm sure there isn't a single person reading this that doesn't know what liminal spaces are by now. But just in case, the concept of liminal spaces relates to physical locations that are typically transitional in nature. Hallways, waiting rooms, and parking lots are classic examples. The liminal aesthetic can be defined by the unique feeling of eerie nostalgia people experience when presented with such places outside of their designated context. For instance, an abandoned hospital corridor might seem ominous and uncanny due to the prevalence of human activity usually associated with medical facilities. While the specific aesthetic has always existed, it was recently popularized and further defined by the back rooms, a by now infamous creepypasta about what happens when you no-clip out of reality or fall through the floor. At least, that's how I first became familiar with the term. Like many other fans of the original work by Kane Pixels, I was eager to contribute to the ever-expanding subgenre of horror games inspired by liminal spaces. The project itself wasn't anything revolutionary. Basically, it began as a glorified first-person walking simulator without any particular purpose or goal, where you can explore various unique 3D liminal environments. The only thing about it that was somewhat novel was that I didn't intend on implementing any actual scares into the game, instead relying entirely on the atmosphere to instill a sense of constant suspense in the player. It's pretentious, I know, but I've always liked the idea of a horror game that leaves you in a perpetual state of questioning whether you're truly alone or not. There are very few games that scratch that particular itch for me, so I decided to just make it myself. The first level I created was an abandoned multi-story car park. I based it on the one across the street. Each floor was near identical to the last, and with the outside being just an endless expanse of fog, you couldn't really tell whether you were making progress or were just stuck in a loop. Again, I know what I'm describing doesn't seem all that impressive, but keep in mind I was a 16-year-old kid learning how to use a gaming engine for the first time. I must have replayed that first level over 50 times, making sure that everything from the camera's movements to the ambience was exactly the way I wanted it. I remember spending days just toying with the shaders alone. I didn't want the location to feel too artificial, but I also didn't want to detract from the liminality by adding extra clutter. I was looking for that sweet spot between minimalist and dingy. Once I was finally done, or at least as done as I was going to get, I asked my best friend Alex if he could play it for me and tell me what he thought. He is a bit of a wimp when it comes to any kind of horror media, thus making him the perfect test subject. I made a point of deliberately not telling him that there were no ghosts or spooky monsters haunting the level. I was looking for a genuine impression after all, and, well, I thought it would have been funny. He called me a few hours later. I could tell from his nervous laughter that he was still playing. <laughs> Alright, bro. I give up. What's behind the door? How, how do you open it? <laughs> I was... confused. I didn't remember implementing any doors or anything that could be described as one. My initial assumption was that he thought he'd caught on to the joke and was now trying to mess with me in return, so I just played along. Oh, that. Yeah, 
you got to collect the 77 pages and then a hyper-realistic animatronic Slenderman will come out there and start chasing you. I could practically hear him rolling his eyes. Hilarious, man. No, but seriously, how do I open it? I've looked everywhere for like a pressure pad or a key or something. At least give me a hint. I persisted, snarkily dismissing his nagging, but after a while it became apparent that his frustration was genuine. We moved the call to Discord, and he shared his screen, showing me what he was talking about. Turns out, he was being very much for real. Plastered across one of the walls was the flat texture of a door. It was red, resembling a fire exit, which made it all the more jarring against the color palette of grays and faded browns that otherwise dominated the environment. I blinked in confusion and leaned forward in my chair. I certainly had put that there. With Alex on the call, I booted up my level editor and clipped up to the seventh floor, the same floor he was on. Sure enough, the bright red door was on my version of the project as well. It appeared to be part of the texture pack I was using. Not sure how, but I guess I'd somehow missed it during my numerous playthroughs. It was a fun little what-the-fuck moment, but obviously nothing we were about to lose sleep over. I even considered briefly keeping it in there as an inside joke, but ended up replacing the door with a more fitting surface. I began work on the second level just a few days later. It was inspired by a reoccurring dream I've had. A looping, white, sterile corridor with rows of yellow lockers on each side. The player would have been dropped at the end of it and given no further directive. There were no puzzles to be solved, no hidden switch that would reveal some secret passageway. That was sort of the point. I remember thinking I was being so clever, so abstract, as though I was on the verge of creating the piece de resistance of all walking sims I could be dissected and theorized on for years to come. In reality, all I did was make a tech demo using a bunch of pre-made assets. The Stanley Parable, it most definitely was not. After playtesting it for a bit, I sent the finished version to Alex. It didn't even take a full hour for him to call me back. This time around, he sounded more agitated than nervous. I've been walking for like 30 fucking minutes. Where am I meant to be going? I laughed, but internally I was actually quite annoyed with him for not appreciating my vision for what it was. I chalked it out to my friend being a meathead without a single creative bone in his body. There was surely no other reason as to why somebody wouldn't be positively enthralled at the mere prospect of walking through the same hallway over and over again. I don't know. Try hugging the left wall? I snidely replied. Fuck off. It all looks the same. Am I supposed to, like, do something with the lockers? There's the door, but that doesn't seem to do anything, so I'm assuming I perked up. Door? What door? Alex laughed sarcastically. Oh, ha ha ha. Don't fucking start this again. It wasn't even funny the first time. I scooted over to my desk and adjusted my headset, adopting what I considered to be a more serious tone while launching the editor once more. Where is it? Alex's microphone crackled as he exhaled into it. 
He was still convinced that I was trying to mess with him, which, given our usual dynamic, I guess I couldn't blame him for. I, I don't know, man. Close to where you spawn? I found it almost immediately. Snugly nestled between two neighboring lockers was the red door. Unlike its previous iteration, it was no longer just a flat texture, but rather a fully rendered 3D asset. I couldn't believe it, yet there it was. Its clean, metallic surface gleaming beneath the harsh lighting. Just to reiterate once more, I'm absolutely, positively certain that I hadn't put that there. I could no longer attribute it to negligence, either. It's one thing to accidentally misplace a texture, but there was no way that I had somehow added an entirely new object to the game without realizing it. Of course, there was nothing actually behind the door, nor a way to open it, as far as I could tell, but that didn't make the whole situation any less weird. The only other person who would have access to my computer was my mom, but she doesn't even know how to work a browser, much less do something like this. Could a hacker be responsible? But why would somebody take the time to remotely edit my game and leave everything else on my PC untouched? Just to freak me out? They were succeeding, if that was the case. Once I managed to persuade Alex, it wasn't my idea of an elaborate prank. He was even more freaked out than I was. He went full creepypasta protagonist on me, saying that the game must have been haunted or something. Now, look, I like my Ben Drowned and Sonic.exe as much as the next kid that grew up in the 2010s, but I would have taken a lot more than that for me to consider the possibility of a spooky cyber ghost that gets off on putting random ghost doors in people's games. We spent the rest of the evening talking in circles. In the end, we settled on the tried and true method of doing nothing. I vaguely remember mentioning something about having my OS reinstalled, but I never got around to it. I already had a lot of things I was dealing with at the time. I suppose you could say that this project was my means of escapism. It made me feel productive, like I was actually working towards something, however inconsequential. In short, I needed it, and I wasn't about to let a few bizarre coincidences take it away from me. The third and last level that I ever worked on was my most ambitious yet. The way I envisioned it is kind of difficult to describe. I think it was inspired by an image I saw on Reddit. Imagine a large field, complete with rolling hills and broad valleys, but instead of grass, it's all covered by a green carpet. Pinned against the painted-on sky was a very obvious spotlight which could have followed the players around, always shining directly on them whenever they would look up. The goal was to make it feel like you were stranded in this uncanny, poorly put-together mock reality that didn't even try to hide the fact that it was a set. It, as in whatever was messing with my game, didn't even wait for me to fully finish the level this time. I was still in the process of making sure that the camera didn't clip through the more uneven parts of the terrain. As I turned my point of view around, I saw it. The 
by now all too familiar red door suspended in the middle of an untextured plane. It stood vertically on its own. There was nothing behind or around it. I would have probably been more unnerved had a part of me not subconsciously expected for it to eventually show up. In fact, I wasn't scared at all for some reason. Worse, I felt inexplicably drawn to it. My player character inched forth without my input. It was like I was in a cutscene. Soon enough, I was standing directly in front of that door, looking up at the impossibly tall frame. I had neither the option to step back nor approach any further. As I looked down at the fully rendered handle, a prompt appeared in semi-transparent white letters. Press E to open. I swallowed hard, and desperate to state this newfound sense of morbid curiosity, did as instructed. My screen went completely black, and then transitioned to solid red. Another prompt floated into view. Use WASD keys to move. I would have never realized that I could control my character again had the game not expressly told me. Upon retreating a few steps, I realized that I'd been standing up close to a wall, and in actuality, I was in some kind of enclosed space. Every inch of it was painted in that same shade of solid, uniform red. Unless viewed from a specific angle, you couldn't really tell where one surface ended and another began. It was nausea-inducing. I tried pulling up the console menu. Nothing happened. I could neither exit nor minimize the game, regardless of what combination of keys I attempted. It became increasingly clear that I was no longer in control. And yet, I couldn't quite bring myself to press the power button on my PC. I had this inexplicable urge to uncover the secrets of this place. It was like some sort of primal impulse that was hardwired into my brain. The seemingly endless network of empty spaces was divided by walls and narrow passageways. Distinguishing one room from another was close to impossible. I felt like I was walking in circles, and that most likely was the case for a good while until I stumbled upon a room that actually had something in it. Placed on an equally red table was a can of silver spray paint. Immediately upon picking it up, I was prompted to press F on my keyboard to use it. A crudely drawn check mark materialized on the surface I was facing. I now had the ability to mark off places I'd already explored, which, needless to say, proved immeasurably valuable. Armed with my new way of navigation, I now felt like I was making some actual progress. The more I explored, the more I began to pick up on certain patterns. I realized that each section was compromised of a set number of silical layouts. For example, every fifth room was L-shaped, and every tenth room was H-shaped, and connected to multiple corridors, two of which always looped back to the start of the sequence. It practically turned into a rhythm game. One, two, go left. Three, four, go right. 
if the levels I'd already created could be looked at as their own self-contained microcosms, then I suppose this was their version of the backrooms. A maze of uniformly textured procedural spaces that ironically embodied the spirit of liminality even better than anything I could have consciously conceived. And then, finally, after what felt like hours, I entered a room that was quite unlike the previous ones. The oppressive red was replaced by beige wallpaper. Gave me this intense feeling of deja vu, and still does whenever I think about it. Mounted on the opposite wall was what looked like a flat-screen TV. There were no other exits apart from the one that I came through. I seemed to have reached the end of the monochromatic labyrinth. Upon approaching the vertically placed monitor, I was promptly presented with two options. Press Y to meet your host. Press N to go back. I paused for a moment and looked over at my phone. It was 4.45 in the morning. I had already gone this far. No way I was backing down now. I briefly considered calling Alex, but I thought better of it. Even if I did manage to wake him up, I would have then had to spend another hour trying to convince him that it wasn't my idea of a joke. No. I needed answers, and I needed them now. My finger hovered over the Y key. I took a deep, anxious breath and pressed it all the way down. The virtual TV came to life. White lines raced across its screen. At the center of a blank background appeared the still portrait of a man. The image was so low-res that I could count the individual pixels that comprised it. What it lacked in detail, however, it made up for an expressiveness. The unfamiliar man's cartoonishly large frown dipped to the corners of his jaw, and his eyebrows were scrunched together in a peevish stare. It was like someone had taken the stock photo of a typically suburban dad, used the liquify filter to exaggerate his features. I nearly jumped out of my seat as a grainy and eerily upbeat voice suddenly emanated from my speakers. There had been virtually no audio cues thus far, which made it all the more jarring. Hello, guest 185. This is Henry. Henry's an introvert. Henry doesn't like having guests. What you see at the bottom of your screen is Henry's patience meter. There was now a green bar occupying the bottom of my POV. It was at 99%. You best get going. Henry's not a patient man. Use shift to sprint. After delivering its brief tutorial, the TV flickered and stumped down from its perch, crashing against the floor. I glanced down at the rapidly dwindling bar. 90%. Pressure was on. I was no longer questioning the logistics of what I was experiencing. I just knew that I had to find my way back and quick. The logical part of my brain tried to reason with the rest of my body, assuring me that I was in no real danger. And yet, there was no denying the pounding in my chest or the cold beads of sweat rolling down my forehead. Using the shift key as per instructed, I backtracked through the red corridors as swiftly as I could, applying the same methods I used before, but in reverse. I audibly sighed in relief whenever I came across previously marked room as it assured me that I was headed in the right direction. 
75%. It took me several hours to initially solve it, and now I had reached the start of the maze in a fraction of that time. The increase in movement speed certainly helped, but not as much as I would have hoped. 30%. I could have sworn that meter was decreasing faster the further I got. It was as if this place didn't really want me to leave and was just toying with me, making me think that I stood a chance at escaping. 5%. I was panting. Even though I wasn't the one actually running, I was so close, but evidently not close enough. As I turned a corner and headed down what I presumed to be the penultimate stretch, I saw that there was another asset blocking the claustrophobic passage. It was one of those bulky old TV sets, which projected a static image of the same warped face as before. It was pointed right at me, expecting me. Zero percent. Uh-oh, the disembodied, enthusiastic voice announced. You've really gone and done it now. The only thing that Henry hates more than guests are guests who outstay their welcome. But not to worry. Suddenly a loud thump shook the window next to my desk. My blood ran cold. I swallowed the proverbial lump in my throat and slowly turned my head towards it. There was a dark hand pressed against the glass. It was followed by another, and then another, all reaching in from different angles, but until all I could see were various-sized palms grasping at the flat plane, applying more and more pressure against it. Henry would just have to pay you a visit instead. Henry could always use more red paint. I fell out of my chair just in time as the window practically exploded. Glittering shards scattered across my bedroom. Terrified, I rolled onto my hands and knees, propelling myself up to my feet before bolting for the door. A tsunami of hopelessness crashed against me as soon as I emerged onto the other side. I was no longer in my apartment. Stretching before me was a branching, crimson corridor. This wasn't a game anymore. Or if it was, I was the entertainment. Something grabbed the back of my sweatshirt, and I squirmed away, leaving it in my pursuer's grasps. I ran, and I pleaded. I barreled through the identical rooms and the interrelated passages, desperate to evade the imminent presence that followed me every step. I glanced back for only a second, which was enough to refuel my panicked frenzy, as what I saw will still haunt me until the day I fucking die. A cluster of elongated limbs ending in human-shaped hands. Using them, it crawled forth like a centipede. At the center of the flailing mass was the goddamn face, although its deep frown was now an impossibly wide grin and filled with straight teeth. Its eyes had become two circular voids. They trembled with excitement. The closer it drew, this was it, I thought. There was no way that I was getting out of this alive. My legs were bound to give out sooner rather than later, and I was in no state to assess where I was going. Whatever that grotesque monstrosity was intending to do to me, I just hoped that it was quick. I was on the verge of surrendering to my fate when my salvation appeared before me in the most unlikely and yet ironically fitting form. A red door. It blended so seamlessly with the walls that I saw only its outline, but it was there nonetheless, my way out. I mustered what remaining endurance I had and charged to it. My lungs were on fire. 
I couldn't feel my calves anymore. It was like I was running on stilts. I shoved my eyes and threw myself against the door, spilling onto the wet asphalt beyond it. My shoulder and elbow absorbed the brunt of the impact. Thankfully, it wasn't my skull. Still high on adrenaline, I snapped my head back. The door was gone. There was only concrete stained with old graffiti. I rubbed my bleeding elbow and steadily rose back up, then looked around. I was in the abandoned car park across from my apartment complex, the one that I'd used as an inspiration for the first level I ever created. The morning sun shone through the gap in the outer wall. I broke down, crying then and there. It was over. Against all odds, I had somehow survived and made it home. It was too good to be true, and well, as it turns out, it was. I stepped out into a world that I quickly realized isn't my world. The differences are subtle, but they're there. Chief among them being my own mother and not knowing who the hell I am. She'd apparently never had a son. Alex threatened to call the cops on me after I repeatedly showed up to his school to try and talk to him. In his defense, if some random guy walked up to me and told me that they were my best friend from another timeline, I'd probably react the same. Things haven't been easy on me, as you can probably guess. I spent two years sleeping on park benches and diving through dumpsters, even turned to drugs to cope with the overwhelming trauma and loneliness. I can't say that things are all well and good now, but I do have a roof over my head, which is an improvement. I don't think I'll ever be able to live a normal life, but I am trying, hence posting this. I don't want to be alone anymore. And the internet is the only place where I can talk about this without worrying that I'd be thrown into a padded cell. You don't have to believe me. I wouldn't believe me either, but hey, thanks for reading anyway. There's one thing in particular I can't stop thinking about. That creepy voice called me Guest 185, which implies that there were 184 guests before me. I escape into the reality of some other version of me that got inadvertently sucked into that place as well. You know what, come to think of it, I don't really want to know. I only signed up for the experimental education program because I was desperate. I'd been out of a job for four months and I had no savings left. I put whatever I thought companies wanted to see. Eventually, I scored an interview and they actually gave me the job after I confidently walked in and bullshitted my way through. A handshake sealed the deal. I would be making 200 grand a year working with peptides. The only problem? I was due to start in two days. And I had no idea what peptides even were, let alone how to work with them. 
My whole life was about to implode, so naturally I sat around drinking beer and scrolling the internet all Saturday night. It was there I saw a sidebar ad for the experimental education program. They claimed that, using virtual reality, I could learn a new skill in under three minutes. Not just a new skill, but any skill, regardless of complexity. Right. Impossible. Sure. Drunkenly, I responded to their ad with an email, asking if I could learn molecular biology in under three minutes. It was 2 a.m. on a Saturday night, but I received an immediate response from a Dr. Jensen, claiming that yes, that was possible. (laughs) Right. Sure. Rolling my eyes, I signed up for one of their prototype trials the following morning. I woke hungover that Sunday morning to an alarm that my past self had set. It read, Learn Molecular Biology, 1215. God, really? Well, I had nothing to lose. I dragged myself out of bed, showered in a funk, and drove out to the offices of experimental education. Parking outside that nondescript office building near downtown, I remained ready to bolt at the first sign of a multi-level marketing scam. The parking lot was astoundingly solitary and lonely under that gray, drizzling overcast, which I took, paradoxically, as a good sign. If there'd been dozens of other people heading in, then we were all probably marks for some PowerPoint pitch. As I approached, the bespeckled older man in a white lab coat stepped out of the automatic glass doors. Through his medical mask, he said, You're late. I looked at my cell phone. It's 12.16. The process only takes three minutes, he chided me. That could have been a third of another appointment if we were fully booked. Shit, I'm sorry. I awkwardly followed him into the building without further protest. The halls within were standard art deco and had definitely been rented by his team rather than built for this purpose. I might have even been there before, for something else years ago. It was impossible to tell. He showed me through a door where an office full of medical equipment waited next to two inpatient nurses. They were both wearing masks, just like the doctor, but I was not. I reached in my pockets, pretending to look for a mask, but they ignored my attempt to save face. One nurse guided me to the central chair while the other prepared the syringe of neon green liquid. It was the doctor himself who handed me a clipboard with several sheets of paper on it. I briefly scanned it, noticing some medical terms and molecular biology written in cursive halfway, but he shoved a red pen in my hand. I asked, is this a waiver? It's the contract, he said flatly. You're already late, please just sign it. Both nurses stopped and stared at me. Feeling intensely pressured, I awkwardly wrote my signature in red at the bottom and handed it back to him. He stashed the clipboard, then returned with a helmet that looked straight out of a science fiction B-movie. Confused by its colorful lights and exposed technological hardware, I asked, Is that the virtual reality helmet? As he slid it over my head, he said, No Matrix jokes, please. My senses went black as the helmet covered my eyes, ears, and nose. Where are the controls? No one answered me. Instead, I felt a jab in my left arm. 
I could only figure that the nurse was injecting me with that neon green liquid, but it was too late to ask why. A white light appeared in my vision, first as an intense dot, but then expanding into an all-encompassing flare that simultaneously numbed me and made me feel like I was rising out of my body. Heat needled every inch of me. And then I sat up. I was in a white-walled room, only slightly bigger than my college dorm room back in the day. The bed underneath me was thin and uncomfortable. Had something gone wrong? Had they brought me somewhere else to recover? I shakily stood, finding myself clothed in a basic white shirt and basic white pants. Both were thin, like hospital gown material. A nearby sink was made of white porcelain. I walked over to it. No mirror. I think that was what first tipped me off. Mirrors were a processing cost that most games weren't willing to pay, and it was even harder in virtual reality where the coders could never guess what the protagonist looked like in real life. The next thing that tipped me off, there was no odor. There was no actual way to enter or leave the white-walled room. The only other thing present was a white table stacked with books. Out loud, I said, Holy crap, am I in virtual reality right now? My voice sounded normal. My hands and arms seemed to be my own. My legs even ached a little. If this was virtual reality, it was insanely good. I actually felt like myself, just cast into a new environment. Maybe the injection had been some sort of hallucinogen? Maybe the helmet's visuals weren't really this good, but I was perceiving them as realistic. If that was the case, then learning a new skill might be difficult. I approached the table and sat in the only other furniture in the room, which was, of course, a white chair. The books were all thick texts pertaining to molecular biology. Okay then, this is what I'd signed up for, this is what I'd needed. And it looked like it was really happening. Opening the first book, I started reading. It was heady and complex stuff that tired my brain quickly. After about half a chapter, I sighed, looked around, and decided to take a break. Screw it. Nap time. I awoke in a blink, feeling as if I'd never slept at all. Hmm. That wasn't good. I returned to my textbook and made it through the end of the first chapter. Okay. Now I vaguely knew how a cell worked. I was feeling better, actually, which I chalked out to my hangover fading. I continued on through another chapter before breaking from the textbook with bleary eyes. Time to eat. I stood up and looked around. No food. Simulating hunger was a new thing I'd never experienced, and I was honestly wondering why they programmed that in without providing any food. I turned to the sink, but the water that came out was black and stank of rotten eggs. Mortified, I shook my head and backed away. I reclined on the bed and slept again, but I woke up with a start, feeling like only a split second had passed. The only indicator that time had passed was the rotten egg smell had faded. I was still hungry and tired. As great as this simulation was, it was terrible in certain very fundamental ways. Maybe that was up to me to point out when I gave feedback. After all, this was a prototype. 
I returned to my textbooks, pushing through what learning I could until my hunger, thirst, and tiredness became too distracting. They'd created something amazing here, and I was indeed learning molecular biology, but was I supposed to read this entire stack of textbooks while starving, parched, and sleep-deprived? I needed to do this for my new job, so I kept at it, forcing myself to focus. I actually finished reading and understanding the first entire textbook before the screaming inside my body became too overwhelming to continue. Maybe the information from the single textbooks I'd read would be enough to fake my way through Monday morning. I had to give up on this. Standing, I tried to speak. Instead, I coughed. I hadn't spoken in... How long? I couldn't tell. After a few more coughs, I said weakly, I'd like to leave now. Nothing happened. In the simulation. Still nothing. Okay. Computer freeze program. Nope. I shouted. Existence is paused. Just silence. And white. The long shot quote had failed. My heart hammered painfully in my chest as I began to realize that there was no way out. I'd entered this experiment to learn molecular biology and that was what I was going to have to do. As I sat and forced myself to read, I started fearing a time limit. My body was slowly but surely getting weaker and shrinking from starvation. The hunger burned, making me aware of the very engine of life inside myself as it consumed calories. I wasn't dying because this wasn't real, but the thirst was driving me mad. I turned on the sink a few times, desperate to drink the black water that stink of rotten eggs, but I couldn't make myself do it, even in the darkest depths of my agony. Sleep was pointless. I became a husk. I sat, I studied textbooks, and I flipped pages slowly with emaciated fingers. It was all I was, for what felt like months. It wasn't enough to read the textbooks. I had to understand them, too. Learning, while mostly insane from hunger and thirst and insomnia, felt like a monumental task. I was certain that I was never going to escape. The program would never end. This would be it for me. Forever. I spent an entire week screaming to no avail. I raged at the walls, chipping away at them, just uncovering more white plaster. I was perpetually dying, but never actually ceasing to exist. I broke the sink, and black rotten egg water spewed out onto the floor, and then down the hard-to-see white drain. I sat in the stench, my feet wet, and continued to learn. What other choice did I have? This was never going to end. I flipped through the pages for eternity, truly giving up on the concept of escaping, right until I closed the final book. When the helmet lifted away, I found myself in that room with two nurses and the doctor again. I sat in a disbelieving gaze. The doctor asked, How was it? I stared down. My hands were normal again. My arms had their former strength. I touched my face, finding that I was not a husk. Wide-eyed, I fixated on this question. It it was horrible. I was starving and thirsty and tired the entire time. 
He nodded. That's a manifestation of the cost of thinking so rapidly. You just experienced seven months of intense thought and learning in three minutes. He nodded at the empty syringe in the nurse's hands. That liquid we injected you with contained concentrated neurochemicals, electrolytes, vitamins, and the like. We were hoping it would lessen the pain involved. I grabbed his arm. It was the worst thing I've ever been through. Yes, but did you learn molecular biology like you wanted? Thinking it through, I realized... I had. And that's a success. All that's left is refining the technology. I let go of his arm and grimaced apologetically. Rising shakily, I wandered for the door. They didn't even lead me toward the front of the building. The three just went about their business, readying the room for their next subject. I wasn't even sure how I got home. I just lay there all evening and all night, staring at the ceiling as intense trauma rushed around the edges of my awareness. When my alarm went off to wake me up for my first day of work, I was just still lying there with my open eyes. But I did know molecular biology. I was already dressed. I just dragged myself up, drove to my new office, and floated through my first day of my new job. They gave me some training, and I actually understood the science. What I didn't understand was how experimental education's technology was even possible. The naive, young version of me that had gone into that machine would never have questioned the fundamental technologies at play, but they just forcefully taught me everything I needed to know. All day long, instead of doing my job, I thought about how powerful that neon green liquid would have to have been to do what they claim. The brain was the most expensive engine in the human body, and running it for seven months would require far more than a syringe, no matter how densely packed the contents. That night I remained awake, still staring at the ceiling. I hadn't slept in seven months, so closing my eyes and trying to do it still felt unnatural. The nightmare I'd gone through felt simultaneously like an eternity and a mere instant. I just kept coming back to the same question. How? I tried to ignore that persistent question, but I did manage to take some fitful naps filled with flashback sensations to that white-walled room, but I only made it two more days before I couldn't take it any longer. That Wednesday night, I drove back to that office long after it had closed. The front door was locked, but the signs for experimental education were still up. Returning to my car and fetching the tire iron and a bag, I carefully crept around the corner along the shadowed side of the building toward the back. There, in the darkest and quietest corner of the alley, I found a low window that would serve. Was I really going to do this? I had to know. The tire iron shattered the window with just a light tap. I winced. Somewhere, a dog barked. I waited, but... Nobody human seemed to have noticed the sound of falling glass. Stealing my resolve, I carefully lowered myself into the basement. In the dark, I felt my way past stacked chairs, tables, and other generic office equipment. Nearing the dim light of the stairwell, I felt something soft, warm, and wet. It was fabric, but... It was a person. 
He groaned, and I hurriedly backed up. Standing there in the dark, I waited, terrified. I was busted for sure. Someone had found me. Right? When he didn't say anything, I sensed that someone was wrong in a very different way than I'd expected. Moving further, I found a light switch, then turned around to look. A tan-skinned man of vaguely Middle Eastern appearance was hanging by both arms from two thick chains embedded in the ceiling. He was wearing a black business suit that had been sullied by assault, and long trails of blood, both dried and fresh, ran from his head, ears, and neck. It was immediately obvious that someone had beaten this man half to death and chained him here in the basement of this office building, but knowing it only made me even more frightened. He blinked away, his eyes settled on me. I would have expected him to seem hopeful, but his gaze held on defeated apathy. Noticing his silence, I moved forward and pulled a bald cloth from inside of his mouth. He spit blood and then looked at me with sullen askins. I prompted, Do you need help? couldn't place his accent. He simply said, release me. Yeah, uh, of course, I said quickly. I'll go get help. No, he responded wearily. Sorry, what? You don't want me to go get the police? You have to make the choice to release me yourself. I hesitated. What the hell does that mean? Of all the responses he could have given, I didn't expect to laugh. His tired snicker echoed throughout the basement, setting me on edge. There was something very, very wrong here. Something very, very wrong with him. I had no idea what his relation was to experimental education, if he even had one, but I backed away with an increasing urge to run. He just stared at me, never blinking. I found the stairwell and stumbled my way up, keeping my eyes on him as long as I could. When I finally closed the stairwell door quietly behind me, a palpable primal fear drained out of me. Something about that chained man had frightened me in a way that was deeper than logic and deeper than mere emotion. After I was done here, I was going to call the police and I was never going near him again. I moved through dark hallways, lit by red exit signs, until I found the room I remembered. The equipment was still inside, and after waiting and listening for another few minutes, I dared enter and turned on the lights. Quickly, I moved to the biohazard container. A whole pile of used syringes lay within, and I could see neon green glimmering in most of them. I picked out a handful and threw them in my bag. I could take them to someone for analysis later. Next, I found a stack of waivers. No, not waivers. They were contracts, exactly as the doctor had said. They were written in odd, archaic legalese, and while I could recognize some language pertaining to learning skills and to amenities provided that mentioned a bed, a table, and a sink, the rest made no sense to me. The hell was I reading? Why had I been asked to sign this? Stuffing them into my bag as well, I moved onto the crown jewel of the room, the virtual reality helmet. Lifting it high, I examined it closely. I looked for cords, but there were none. 
I opened the back panel, but it only contained a few batteries to power the lights on the outside. Prying at a bit of the outer hardware, I popped off some pieces that looked like computer chips. They weren't connected to anything. None of it was connected to anything. The helmet, the goggle, the ear covers. It was all fake. It was nothing. The helmet looked like a B-movie prop because it was. What the hell had I experienced? I had absolutely gone somewhere. I'd spent seven months starving and thirsting and sleepless, and I'd learned an entire field of study in three minutes. Or had I just imagined it all as part of some mental experience? Of course, it wasn't virtual reality at all. It had to be some sort of new super drug. The neon green liquid would hold the answer. It had to be some sort of new super drug. The neon green liquid would hold the answer. Clutching my bag, I readied myself to escape the building, which meant another encounter with that man in the basement. I stepped quietly down the stairwell. But he already knew I was there. He watched me with icy eyes as I passed. I paused at the window, wondering if I could really leave him there. He said with genuine hate, You're suffering will be legendary. I turned, locking eyes with him. His anger turned slowly to an understanding grin. Oh my. It already was, wasn't it? His mocking laugh followed me as I climbed out the window and ran for my car. I didn't call the police. Something about him had been far too strange. I just sat at home the rest of that night, catching whatever nightmare-filled sleep I could, and then brought some of the neon green liquid to a co-worker the next day for analysis. Then, I did my best to try and get on with my life. My sleep was tortured. I was constantly on edge, and I was fearful at random times, but I finally had a job. My landlord was coming around asking for rent. I told him I'd found a position and was about to get paid, but he reminded me that I was already extremely behind and very close to eviction. No problem. It was almost payday. Except when payday came next week, I opened my paycheck to find a statement for zero dollars. Of course, I went to go see my boss, who looked at me with confusion. He said, didn't you read the hiring contract? Training's unpaid, and you're training for the first month. I would not read that, no. I tried to argue, but he dismissed me. I went home with a gnawing sense that my life was about to implode. When I faced my landlord and told him it'd be another few weeks, he grew angry, and he told me I was done. I argued that he couldn't do that, but he told me to read my lease, and he took my key right from my hand. What else could I do? I wandered onto the street and found a bench to sit on. I had no money and nowhere to go. How the hell could this have happened to me? I'd always tried to work hard and do my best, but now I was sitting on a park bench, homeless. The world seemed to know somehow. Every dog that passed barked at me as if it was afraid. 
I got up and tried to go to church for charity, but the door wouldn't open for me. Strangers seemed to get chills if I stood too close for them. I simply felt wrong, and somehow I wanted to blame it all on experimental education. It didn't take many days like that for my boss to fire me. When I asked why, he said, No, your work, it's fine. You just smell. And you look like shit. You come off like a homeless guy. I am homeless, because you're not paying me, you asshole. I shot back, finally snapping. Why should I pay you? He asked. I'll just keep getting free months off people since they can learn the skills to do this job in three minutes, just like you. You're completely replaceable. He made a noise of disgust and stalked off after threatening to call security if I wasn't out in ten minutes. He knew about experimental education. He knew I'd gone. How? I gathered my few things in a box, wondering how my life had come apart so forcefully. On my way out of the building, my co-worker stopped me. Hey man, you know that green stuff you gave me? I took a look at it. Doesn't matter anymore, I told him, too overwhelmed to care. He briefly gripped the edge of my box. You should be careful with that stuff. It's lethal. I froze. Lethal. They only use those chemicals in executions, he insisted. Pulling my box away from him, I shook my head. I was injected with that. I'm still alive. No way. This stuff induces brain death almost immediately. You need to have a counter-injection in like three minutes or less or you're not coming back. What? Three minutes? That knocked me out of my darkness. I told him I'd be careful. Then I hurried to my car. Something was snapping in place for me. Experimental education had been using virtual reality at all. The truth was far darker and far more twisted than I could have ever guessed. I drove back to their office building and waited until I saw the doctor and nurses leave. The back window had been hastily patched with wood, but I removed it with my tire iron and slipped inside. The strange and frightening man was still chained within. His head was leaking fresh blood from a recent wound, but he was smiling as I approached. I held my contract in my hand. I read it. Good, he said with a grin. And what did you learn? Now that I finally understand what they're actually doing, the archaic language makes sense, I told him. They're killing people. They killed me, at least for a little while. Then they brought me back with a counter-injection, but... I signed a contract for the experience I would have while dead. I pointed at his head wound. The red pen. It was filled with your blood, wasn't it? His grin widened to a smirk. You're beginning to understand. Those assholes, I replied, filled with equal parts admiration and disgust, awe, and hopelessness. They actually managed to commoditize the human afterlife. They actually managed to turn hell into a product. Just another way to make us even more expandable. He nodded, his eyes filled with animal fire. If I free you, I said slowly, the same fire raging in me, what will you do? 
I'll kill them, he replied, genuine in his anger. Then I'll kill their masters, and their masters, right up the chain until I reach the true monsters. I will topple this world, one brutally torturous murder at a time. I will burn it all down and sink humanity into a lawless age of darkness. I didn't need to look for the key to his chains. In a sense, I already had it. I touched my contract to the metal links, and they rusted away. All I had to say was... Good. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed the stories tonight. I finally found some time to do a bit of a longer video. More of what you all are probably used to, but you know how life can be. Not a big deal though. We got it done. I hope you enjoyed. Um, let me know what you thought about both of them in the comment section below. And um, I don't really have a question. What's the scariest video game you've ever played? How about that? I think that'll be an interesting question. I have a very wide audience as far as age range, so it's going to be interesting to see the different um, different answers down there. I think for me, the scariest game I remember playing, at least as a kid, was Clock Tower on PlayStation 1. I played it for about 15 minutes, found the guy with the scissors, um, and got scared and turned it off and never played it again. <laughs> so... Who's to say? I don't know. Maybe I'll try it again one day. But let me know in the comment section below what the scariest game you've ever played is. And as you're doing that, I'm going to go ahead and give a thank you to all of our $5 patrons and members. Absinthe Alice, Amethyst, Amet, Anne Berry, Bubbly Panda, Caroline, Christina Smith, CT, Deborah Tychus, Elizabeth Watkins, LSG, Furious Weasel, If In Doubt, Flat Out, Jennifer Dameron, Jesse Just Jess, Justinia Zaromsky, Karen Parrot, Cat, Kathy Flanning, Laura, Lindsay Pruitt, Melody Evans, Melissa Berwick, Mindy Bannon, Moon Potato, Nicholas Moore, Nora, Nova Nocturne, Patricia Rodea, PJ Mask, Ray Clegg, Sentinel, The New On Gum 24, Tiger Princess, Tish Love, Triumph, and Victoria Step. That is the first time I've gotten that in one take in about a week, so that's really cool. Thank you all for the continued support. I really appreciate it. And of course, thank you to everyone who stops by and watches the videos and leaves a comment, leaves a like. It really helps out, and I really Really appreciate it. Hope you all have a wonderful day, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are. Hope you're staying safe. Hope you're staying well. I uh, wish you the best, and as always, stay safe out there, friends.